Isaiah's Christmas message. Prophet, of course, is Isaiah. I'm just going to give you kind of some background information for it, rather than just jumping in the book and, and you don't know who Isaiah is. Okay, Isaiah is uh, his name means Jehovah saves. Called in writings of references of individuals who study the scriptures and tell you where he's called the evangelical prophet. And part of that is because of his message is such talking about the coming redeemer of salvation again of the promised uh, Messiah. He ministered for 50 years in Judah. He, there was four different kings that he served under. Uh, Hezekiah yeah, was, he's thought that he's possibly related to royalty because he was one of the prophets that had access to the court. In other words, to get in uh, specifically, not just Ahaz, who we're talking about today, but also Hezekiah. Some believe he may have been a, even a relative, a close relative of Hezekiah, who was also king during his time that he ministered. Uh, so he was in a very unique position there in, uh, as a prophet. Uh, the, nation, the nation was a, a cultural corruption. This is the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was Israel. That was ten tribes. And they, had been, they were under the oppression of, at this time of the, of the nation of Syria. Together, Israel and Syria were pushing down upon Judah. When we get to Isaiah 9, I'll talk about that a little more. But, and the southern kingdom was Judah, actually Judah and Benjamin. And uh, they were, that's where Jerusalem still was. They, you know, the tribe of Judah is the, the Christ himself descended from this tribe. And anyway, Isaiah ministered in the tribe of Judah. This is where he ministered for those uh, 50 years. But the... But the there was moral, political, social, spiritual corruption. Uh, in fact, he might even say bankrupt. That, but they were, they were very prosperous. The prosperity this time of Judah was at an all-time high, even though they were part of a divided kingdom. But spiritually, morally, politically, socially, they, they was totally, it was a corrupt country in many, many ways. And so here's, here's the nation, here's the prophet, here's the nation, and the book itself. The book of self is, is uh, called a mini-Bible. It's kind of interesting. There's 66 chapters in the book of, of Isaiah. Uh, some of you probably have heard this before. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. And the, 39, the first 39 chapters seem to focus on aspects of the law of the Old Testament. Well, then you go chapters 40 through 66, there's 27 books in the New Testament. Those, those chapters 40 to 66 seem to focus on as, as it would be the grace of God. Now that's not, I'm speaking generally true. But anyway, that's one of the reasons it's, it's referred to as a, um, a mini-Bible. Major themes that come through this is God's in control. Uh, we'll see that, you'll see, if you read through the book of Isaiah, you'll see that throughout there. God is in control. Uh, the Messiah is coming. Uh, in fact, I, I, Isaiah is... Uh, is true of most of the prophets, but him specifically, he's talking about the first advent and the second advent, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But the Messiah is coming, and this is great. God always has a remnant that stays committed to him. Those are the kind of the major themes you'll see running through Isaiah, which is true that we need to embrace. You know, God's in control, isn't he? You nod your head if you don't want to say yes. I'll hear it rattle, yes. Okay. He is in control. The Messiah is coming. This is the, we're looking toward the second advent. He always has a remnant. 
There may be wherever you may go, whether you're in another part of the world or even in this country, you may feel isolated. God always has a remnant. There's another believer nearby that you can fellowship with. God always has a remnant uh, that stay committed to him. So that's the themes of the book. The message, uh, again, because of the emphasis on good news or grace, uh, it's sometimes referred to as the fifth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Isaiah. Because of the content of the book, sometimes it's referred to there as the uh, fifth gospel. One more thing I want to keep, have you keep in mind. Isaiah was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. We, I, we believe the Bible is the word of God. We believe that it is true. It is not far-fetched for us to believe that these prophecies were written, Isaiah wrote these prophecies as God moved him to write them 700 years before they were even fulfilled. And some of these prophecies he has in here has are yet to be fulfilled. So we believe that these men of old moved by the Spirit of God to record these words for us even today. So this, this, is, this is the book. This is kind of the, the background of it. I want to look at three passages that have to do with the Christmas message. The first one is in Isaiah chapter 7. Jesus, the sure sign. A sign. When you hear that word sign, what is this, what's a sign? What's that mean? If we have a road sign, uh, sometimes you'll have a road sign that'll say crosswalk. Well, that's telling you that up, up, coming up ahead there's a crosswalk. Or uh, uh, there's a light. There's a, a sign is a warning of something that's coming. Well, this, the, the, when we talk about a sign, this is a prophetic indication for which God's faithful watch and pray. So when we talk about a sign, this is, this is a prophetic indication for which God's faithful watch and pray. He is the sure sign. And now you'll see what I'm talking about. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 7 through 14. And we're talking about a sign, prophetic indication of what's coming. So watch and pray. Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass, for the head of Syria... Uh, well, okay, let me just tell you what happened here. Uh, this is, refers back to what I said before. Syria was um, connecting up with Israel. They had not captured Israel. They had oppressed Israel. Israel does not go into captivity to Syria. They go into captivity to Assyria. Alright? So, the Syria is oppressing Israel and pressuring them, them to invade Judah. Judah's king is Ahaz. And Ahaz is actually turning to the Assyrians for assistance. God, in his grace, in his mercy, sends Isaiah to talk to Ahaz to explain to him how, what God has in mind. Okay, so just with that background, just watch now and listen as I read this. So thus says the Lord God, this is I speak, Isaiah speaking, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken. That's a prophecy. He's foretelling that Ephraim is actually going to go into captivity, but not to Assyria. 
so that it will not be a people. Uh, they were, they're totally, they're, if you remember, they will not be a people. This is all significant, okay? This is all prophetic. Um, they will not be a people. Assyria, when they came in, they not only took you out of your country, but they redistributed you all over the world. Whereas when Babylon came in and captured Judah, they took them as a people back to Babylon. That's why when you have the restoration to come back into Israel, you had them going back as a people. So these ten tribes, often you'll hear the lost ten tribes of Israel. That's who they're referring to because these were dispersed throughout the world. And then they would take people from different people groups and bring them back in to settle into the area, what we know is of of Israel or the northern kingdom. So they are a people no more. That's what he's talking about. They are no more a people. The head of Ephraim, I'm going to say, let's see. um, Yes, verse 9. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is Ramallah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Uh, This, by the way, is a play on words. In Hebrew, it it would read like this. If there is no belief, you will find no relief. Okay? If there is no belief, you will find no relief. In our English Bible it says, Surely you shall not, if you will not believe, surely you will not be established. He's delivering this message to Ahaz. He wants to give Ahaz uh, some glimmer of hope and to bolster his fortitude to, to stand up rather than go to Assyria. Then verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ready? Ask a sign for himself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. So here's God, through the prophet Isaiah, coming to Ahaz and and saying to Ahaz, You doubt? Ask a sign. I'll give you a sign that you'll be able to see and know a prophecy what's coming. Ask a sign. This is, Ahaz's response is great. Look at the next verse. Verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Now, I said that's a great answer because he is such a hypocrite. He is so pious. It makes you want to gag. Oh, I would not test the Lord. He had offered his own children as a burnt sacrifice in the arms of Moloch, the Ammonite idol that he had set up over the valley of Hinnon, which was a garbage dump. This is, this is the same, oh, I would not test God. That makes you want to gag. He, he, was such, he was such a pious individual when he was truly confronted by God. He didn't repent, obviously, but, but this was all bogus, all bogus. didn't mean anything. So, now we get to verse 13. Then the Lord said, Ahaz didn't want a sign, so the Lord said, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to choose the sign. You don't want a sign? I'm going to choose the sign. Then the Lord said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Verse 14, therefore the Lord said, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And this is where you have that great prophecy concerning 
the sure sign. Verse 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. I I hope you never get tired of the Christmas story. This is great stuff. The sign was Jesus. A sure sign. That his, that his, the sign, first of all, was from the Lord. This sign was from the Lord. It says, you won't choose, I will give you a sign, but this is a sign I choose. The sign was from the Lord. The Lord chose the sign. Similar language was used by Abraham in his response to Isaac. Isaac said, remember when Isaac in Genesis 22, they're walking up the mountain. Isaac looks at his dad and says, Dad, I see the fire and I see the wood. And I've been with you a long time, but there's no sacrifice. I mean, you know, Isaac's kind of getting in his mind. (laughs) No sacrifice. What does this mean? And Abraham said, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. This is is what he's saying here. The Lord is going to provide a sign. You haven't chosen one, the Lord is going to provide a sign. So the sign was from the Lord. Second thing I want you to see, the sign was given for all. The word you that you find in there, in the Hebrew, that's plural. You is plural, from one Ahaz to many. The house of David, the house of Judah, to us. The sign was given to everyone. Isaiah, Ahaz could have had a singular sign to him, but the sign was given to everyone. You, is, in the Hebrew, is plural. It's for everyone. The sign was for everyone. So the sign was from the Lord. The sign was given for all. The third thing I want you to see is the sign will be a son born of a virgin. This is no ordinary pregnancy. This is no ordinary birth. You can't miss this sign. This is in, totally impossible. This, this, is, this can never happen. That's why this sign is the significant of a pro- prophecy of something to look for, anticipate and pray for. You watch and pray. It's a, it's a, it is a no ordinary pregnancy and it's no ordinary birth. This was an extraordinary sign. This is true. 700 years before his birth. So, the sign was from the Lord. The sign was given for all. The sign will be a son born of a virgin. And this is great. The sign is God with us. And he shall be called Emmanuel. God with us. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Matthew records this following the birth of Jesus, he says. For all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, 23. Jesus is a sure sign. Emmanuel, God with us. Second passage, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Jesus, the sent son, this is a season what we call Advent. You, you've had Advent calendars. 
an advent calendar is each day of December you open a window, a uh, piece of candy or a picture, and that, and that shows you're one day closer to the advent, which is the coming of the Savior. We refer to often what's sometimes called first advent and second advent. Well, the first advent has already happened. The coming of Christ has already happened. The second advent is yet future. The prophets, as you read through them, they describe many aspects of the person and the work of Christ in his first advent, such as Isaiah 7.14. That's his first advent. But they also describe many aspects of his person and work in reference to his second advent or his millennial reign. And I don't just stay with me. I'll I'll kind of clear this up for you. For instance, chapter 11 talking about the second second advent. There come forth a rod from the the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots, the spirit of the Lord shall be upon him, rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion, and the faltering together, fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. This is all speaking of the second advent. This is the second coming of Christ. He will rule. He will reign. He will have a kingdom. He is not ruling and reigning now on earth. He may be ruling and reigning in your heart. Well, that's, an, that's certainly an um, aspect of the first advent. But this is the literal rule and reign of Christ. Okay, now remember I said I'd try to explain this to you. If I'm sitting at the piano, or if I'm standing right here, and I'm looking at that tree, I see that tree, and I kind of see an outline of a tree behind it. This is the way the prophets saw the future. They saw mountaintops. And many times those mountaintops blurred together. A good example of that is in our text here. If you look at chapter 9, uh, verse 6 and 7. Verse 6, first advent. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. First advent. That's the first tree. As I look prophetically ahead and I see the mountaintop and I look at the prophecy concerning the first advent, a child will be born, a son will be given. First advent. Now look at the rest of the verse in verse 7. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom... To order it, establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal Lord of hosts will, will perform this. That's not the first advent. If that was the first advent, Jesus would be ruling and reigning on the earth right now, correct? That's the second advent. 
See, the prophets, when they looked at prophecy, many times the first and advent were blurred together. But, if I sit down in that front row, I look up, and I can clearly see there's a separation between the first advent and the second advent. Now listen, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul relates to the church at Ephesus, this separation, this gap, between the first advent and the second advent is a mystery to the prophets. They didn't see this, this gap. All they saw was the first advent, second advent, and they joined them together. They talked with them in the same verses many times. They blurred them together. It's only as we look back from the New Testament, understand the different advents, first advent, second advent. This is a general statement. It's not always true, but generally it's true. The new in the old is concealed, while the old in the new is revealed. You follow me? The New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. Whereas when I get into the New Testament scriptures, and I look back over the prophecies that are given in the prophets, it's revealed to me that I can, I can see more clearly first advent, second advent. Is everybody confused or... Is that okay? Kind of, kind of shake your head. Just a couple of people shake their heads and all. Okay, I got to, a couple of people understand. So this is, this is what we're looking at. You've got the first advent, the sun, this, the sent sun. But you also have the second advent when he talks how he's going to rule from the throne of David. Well, that's future. That's yet future. All right? So let's go back to the sent sun. Let's see if this translated up a little better. His birth. First advent. Christ is born, son is sent. This speaks both of his, deity, his humanity and his deity. A child is born, miraculous birth. A son is sent. That, that is his deity. Uh, that uh, He was sent uh, by, from God above. A great chapter for you to read and familiarize yourself is John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, we know, as we get down to verse 14, that that's speaking of Jesus. Look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh. In other words, this Word that was in the beginning with God, face-to-face communication with God, and was of God, is revealed in Jesus because it became flesh in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me, Jesus. And of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. That was a verse that Andy uh, read. Grace for grace. For the law was given with, through Moses... But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has been seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. The revelation of God in the flesh is Jesus. We have both in John chapter 1, we have both the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. The deity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. 
He was a child is born and a son is given. That's a miracle. I cannot, I cannot fully comprehend or understand that, but because the Bible has said it is so, I believe it. This is true. This is a, it's an un, inconceivable, ununderstandable miracle that God sent forth his son. And to speak of Jesus, to see Jesus, is to see God and to speak of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and he was beginning with God. So that's the first advent. We've looked at and seen the first advent. A child is born, a son is sent. All right, second advent. His reign. Second advent, first advent, if you put it this way, think of it this way, is, talks about his birth. His, the, whole, the whole first advent is focusing on his birth. Now, understand that part of that birth is his death also. Much of chapter 53 in Isaiah has to do with his death. That's all part of that first advent. Second advent, he doesn't come to die again. He doesn't come to be born. He returns from heaven with his angels and with the saints. They come from heaven triumphantly. That's the second advent to rule and reign on the earth. First advent, his birth. Second advent, his reign. The second advent, verse 6 and 7. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David, over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from time forward, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. This is all reference to what we, which I'm not going to talk about today, but it's all reference to his millennial reign on earth forevermore. And after the millennial ends, he is still ruling forevermore in the heavens. He is in heaven now, but he is not ruling over the earth now. First advent, second advent. Which brings us to third passage. This is so good, I didn't want to, I didn't want to skip it. These titles that are given to him are all aspects of his ministry during his second advent. Now we, spiritually, can see the impact that these are having even in believers today. But the literal fulfillment of Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, those will be yet fulfilled specifically in the second advent. But spiritually, in other words, this is, this is something only believers can experience are, are these aspects of his ministry. For instance, the present rule and reign in the hearts of believers. Wonderful counselor, his profound wisdom. James chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, no, no questions, no conditions. Romans chapter 11, verse 33, all the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Knowledge is the ability to take something apart. Wisdom is the ability to take the parts and put it back together. He has profound wisdom, and yet spiritually as believers, as James wrote to Christians there uh, he, in Jerusalem, he was writing and saying, listen, you know, you lack wisdom, you can call upon the wonderful counselor. He has profound wisdom. 
He, give, he will give it to you without question, without conditions. Just ask. Wonderful counselor. Uh, mighty God, powerful warrior. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. As Paul is challenging these Christian believers in Ephesus, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, to stand against the wiles of the devil. To stand. We can try, uh, Listen, we don't have to go forward in our own strength and our own power. We can stand in his might and his power. He's the mighty God, the powerful warrior. Everlasting Father. Talked about his permanent presence. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise only given to believers. And we know from, from John chapter 15 that presence that is promised to us is in, in, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15, verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is speaking of that we are, these mighty counselor, uh, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, we, we can experience those as believers spiritually today. Those are all foreshadowing of what's coming in the second advent. The everlasting Father, that permanent presence. When you accepted Christ, your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit permanently indwelt you. He is always with us. Not only we rely upon his strength, his power, but to realize, you know, we're not in this ourselves. His presence is with us. Prince of Peace. Provider of Peace. Great verse, again, great chapter, Romans chapter 1. Therefore, if any man, uh, I'm sorry, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Later on in that chapter, I think it's verse 8 and then also in verse 10, but God commendeth his love towards us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, he says he's reconciled. We were at, we were at enemies, we we're at enmity, but he has reconciled us to God. Through Jesus Christ. He brings peace. Therefore, having been justified, we have peace with God. We're at peace with him. He's the provider of peace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were, were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He's the provider of peace. Jesus, the sure sign, Jesus, the sent son, and finally here in Isaiah 53, Jesus, the suffering, suffering Savior. There are a, an amazing amount of pinpoint prophecies just in Isaiah 53 all by itself. Again, if you've got a good study Bible, to read through Isaiah 53 and look at the comments that pinpoint those different prophecies. Some study Bibles actually have a chart that will show you the prophecy and the fulfillment. And in uh, chapter, Isaiah 53 is one of those chapters that just has incredible amount of pinpoint prophecies uh, about the, the Messiah. Uh, substituting torment is death on the cross. Uh, but I just want to look at four verses. Verse 3, 4, 5, and 6. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our 
faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and sorrows. By the way, this has reference to the consequences of sin. He'll talk about bearing our sin later, but here he's talking about the consequences. Not only does he bear our sin, but even the consequences of sin. Uh, I put it this way. He died on the cross to save us from the penalty and the power of sin. Not just sin, but the consequences indeed. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our, our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are, are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Are you feeling a little guilty? The source of his suffering, almost probably over ten times, maybe only as many as twelve times, our, we, us. The source of his suffering is us. The reason he's suffering is because of me, because of you. But there's a second reason. Sometimes it's dismissed. If you look at verse 6. And the Lord has laid on him. God came along, and the righteous judge said, You know what? Somebody has to die. <laughs> Somebody has to die. Somebody has to die to satisfy my righteous demands. You can die, or Christ can die in your place. But somebody has to die. The only one that could satisfy God, satisfy his righteous demands, was Christ. He was a sinless sacrifice. He was the propitiation for our sins. He satisfied God's righteous demands. Somebody had to die. So he was sent to the cross for our sins. And God realized that, he's the, that he was the only one who could be sacrificed for our sins. Somebody had to die. So we, the source of, our suffer, of his suffering was us, our transgressions, our iniquity, our, our sin, our sinfulness, but also God, because someone had to die. The severity of the suffering. Notice these words, stricken, this judgment, smitten. That has to do with internal injuries. Afflicted. He was humiliated, inflicted misery. Wounded, that's to stab or pierce, like the sword in his side. He was bruised, that would be like internal bleeding. He was chastened, the punishment for, for the purpose of correction. But he didn't sin, but yet he was chastened. Now we can go in all kinds of gory details of what this all means, but let me say this, the point is this, there was no mercy. There was, God extended no mercy to Christ. He fully, completely suffered and died in our place to satisfy God's righteous demands. It was severe. He endured what we could not endure to the point when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ that when he looks, when God now, the righteous judge, looks upon us, he doesn't even see us. 
he sees the righteousness of Christ. This is so awesome. The source of the suffering, the severity of the suffering. Lastly, the salvation from the suffering. By his stripes, we are healed. Martin Luther said, The life of Christianity consists of possessive pronouns. It is one thing to say Christ is a Savior, but it is another, quite another thing to say Christ is my Savior. See, the devil can say the first, but only a believer can say the second. He, Christ is my Savior. 1 Peter 2.24 Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. Isaiah's Christmas message, let it never get old. By his stripes, we are healed. Specifically this morning, as I've been preaching, is towards salvation. And I know several of you, or most of you, and I know that you, your profession of faith, but there still may be an individual or individuals here that do not know Christ. Only a Christian can experience these things, and only a believer in Christ can say, Christ is my Savior. He's not just a Savior, but he's my Savior. Heads bowed and eyes closed, please. With that in mind, if you're here this morning, no one looking around, and, and you say, Pastor Ken, I'd like, to, I'd like to talk to someone after the service that would show me from the Word of God how I can be saved. Is there anyone like that? You don't have to raise your hand, but I would encourage you after the service, if you do not understand or you want to know more about what I'm talking about, if you come up and see me, I'll be glad to show you or have someone show you from the Word of God how you can be saved, how you can come to know Christ as your personal Savior. Father, you've been very gracious and kind to us. We thank you for the truth of this incredible prophecy 700 years before your birth. And yet you opened the window not only to the first advent, but also to the second advent. It often makes me think again of Ephesians 3.20, above and beyond what could ask or think, according to the power of God that works within us. Lord, this is certainly beyond what we could ask or think, to know your power is continually at work and still at work. And Lord, we do pray if there's individual or individuals here that do not know Christ, that today, this season, that they may finalize their faith and trust in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.